I was thinking about uh, just worship. You know, a couple weeks ago, we, we talked a little bit about worship, about kind of our opportunity coming into this space expectantly, um, engaging with our hearts and our minds, um, expressing and responding appropriately, praying that our outward expression would agree with our inward condition as we are confronted with the truth and glory and grace of God. And we, that's one of the reasons, one of the greatest reasons that we gather in here is to, to come before God uh, together to be, um, to be unified for his work, to, be, um, to see a greater context, but also worship obviously goes beyond uh, this gathered time. It, of course, should be all-encompassing. If, if our life in Christ is one of a totally new creation, a new identity, worship goes way beyond that. You know, when, when we think of worship, then we're thinking of a life lived unto God. One of my, one of my um, favorite definitions that I've heard about kind of what worship is, this life lived unto God, it would be this. It's worship is casting all of our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. Casting all of our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. And maybe we can even add for the sake of today uh, the, in, in our life's effort as well. Casting it all upon God. And so thinking about this and, and thinking this is what our life is meant to be about as those created by God for fellowship with him, for his glory, and in Christ that's been restored then that is the purpose of our life. So one of the greatest ploys of Satan against Christ's followers, again, the enemy, the deceiver, one of his greatest tools, his ploys for the Christ follower is not to outright attack their belief. His tactics would be exposed too quickly, but rather it is to consume and distract their affections and place them on temporal things, the things of the world. Good and destructive. So thinking about this, if you've experienced the sting of acquiring things and it never being enough, of achieving and never feeling like you've done enough, or, or if you've experienced the guilt of, of striving in faithfulness and feeling like you just don't desire God enough. maybe And I, and I think those two categories probably fit all of us. We, we can probably all find ourselves in those two categories. Let me say, today as we look at the spiritual discipline of fasting, I would say fasting is a key discipline for these realities. If we have felt the insatiable appetite for the things of the world that are never satisfied, whether it's acquiring or achieving, or whether you have consistently felt the sting of never feeling like, in the guilt of never feeling like you've, you've desired and sought God enough, I want to invite us into this opportunity that we find in fasting. Unfortunately, fasting is one of the most, it's one of the most neglected and misunderstood uh, disciplines that we've been given. So with that said, before I go any further, I would love to pray for us. God, um, we confess that we need you. Lord, um, I pray that uh, those words would pass through our hearts to our lips and take over our lives. Lord, even if it's starting with just words, I pray that those words we say as we confess that you are good and that we need you, that it would, again, stir up our affections for you, that it would align our motivations and our hearts for you, that it would remind us of your heart for us. So, Lord, you are good. Lord, there is none that we need but you. All that you have promised has been satisfied in Christ. 
And Lord, I pray that today, as we look at this opportunity to set our lives towards You and to take specific steps in the discipline of fasting, I pray that it would be an invitation and something that is life-giving to Your church, compelling to a, a, a doubting, skeptical, unbelieving observer, Lord, and that they would be wooed to You, and ultimately that You would be glorified as a result. So Lord, we surrender this time to You. Speak through me in spite of me, God. I have nothing apart to say uh, I have nothing to say apart from your truth, nothing to proclaim other than Christ crucified. So, Lord, take my words, catch them afire in our hearts, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So some quick, quick review just to get us up to speed of what we've covered so far with the spiritual disciplines in the last three weeks. Uh, first off, let me just say this. Spiritual disciplines are guides. They are not saviors. They do not sanctify, transform us, change us. Only Jesus does, but yet they make the ground fertile. They make the conditions right for us to be in the place to experience the transforming work of Christ. So when we talk about them being guides, what we saw a few weeks ago laid out, uh, that spiritual disciplines guide us to, they guide us to a greater victory and freedom from sin, they guide us to deeper intimacy with God, and they grow us in Christ's likeness. So this is the way in which spiritual disciplines guide us. And quickly to define spiritual disciplines real quick once again. Spiritual disciplines are shown to be anything that is an effort to take appropriate measure to grow in godliness and deny our life of flesh that leads us away from God. Godliness, the life expressing the image, the love, the character of God that we were created in that was, that was marred and separated and fractured that he restored in Christ. And now we are taking on that image all the more as he sanctifies us, as he transforms us. The disciplines are, the, are our effort to grow, to pursue that. And so then we also see that there is a trajectory to the disciplines a trajectory. So we see there's an inward trajectory, an outward trajectory, and a communal trajectory. So inward, real quick, uh, to define that. In, uh, inward disciplines are individual pursuits primarily oriented toward personal attitude change and to develop the inward reality of a transformed person. So we see it's more about the behavioral, the heart, the internal change, the posture change, and growing in the inward reality of our relationship, our, our, our um, communion with God. Outward disciplines, the trajectory is outward. Individual pursuits primarily oriented toward personal behavioral change resulting in an outward lifestyle that reveals the manner of the Messiah to the world around us. Makes, makes the, the, the kingdom of God tangible to the world around us. And then the corporate or the communal disciplines, individual pursuits expressed and experienced as part of the body of Christ. So as we continue through these disciplines today and then throughout the year, we'll kind of take some commercial breaks through our teaching of Romans and other opportunities to, to pick up a few more. I'll let you know kind of is this an inward working, an outward working, or one that we share uh, together. And then, and then there's also one more thing that we want to make sure to see that as we engage these spiritual disciplines, they are, they are disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. Some disciplines we pursue by withholding, by withdrawing from, by abstaining from certain opportunities, certain, certain things, certain um, behaviors. Those are the uh, disciplines of abstinence. And then also we have the disciplines of engagement. Those are, the things, those are the disciplines where we are pursuing, we are actively stepping into something. So again, 
I'll let us know as we are going through these, is this an inward, outward, corporate, or is, and also is it one of abstaining or one of engaging? So there's our groundwork. We can get moving now. Ro- open your Bibles to Galatians 5.1. That's where we're going to start now. Also, uh, we'll have verses on the screen. If you use the Bible app uh, by Uversion, you can go to the More tab at the bottom right, click Events. If your GPS is on, we will pop up, and all of our verses are in there, as well as some other things to help you um, reflect and, and study further, as well as some helpful information about what's happening in our community. Um, and then also, if you need a Bible, um, if you like paper, there's one under a chair near you. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take that with you. That's our gift to you. Today we're going to be, once again, because this is a, talking about the topic of fasting and the, and, and the full view of it, we'll be jumping around Scripture a lot. So feel free just to kind of join us on the screens or in the YouVersion app, or, or else it'll be like Bible drill, and you'll just be trying to get there really fast. So here we go. So I want, with Galatians 5.1, we want this verse to kind of set our pace for the day, to set our posture for the day. So Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So a few things real quick. Just hear the heart of God here. Like, why did God move heaven and earth, send his only son, and take on flesh, enter into our mess, into our brokenness, experience it at all, experience all of it to conquer sin and death. Why did he do all of that? He did it to set us free, and why did he set us free? For the sake of freedom. He didn't set us free just so that we could go and serve his every whim. Look at every other world religion. If there is a deity the subjects are there to appease and to provide for and create peace for the deity. What we see here is the heart of God expressed totally upside down from every other world deity that we see. He came to give all so that we could be free and live in his freedom. He provided everything we need, and it is our joy to live a life unto him. It is our joy to bring offerings. So it's it's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. And then we see it says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So it's saying, set your life to live unto God. Don't live as if you are no longer free, because you are free indeed. So just a beautiful picture of the heart of God and also just a great, hopefully again, just a great motivator to see what drives our life. And again, go back and listen to the last three weeks on the, on the spiritual disciplines because I can't go back, I can't can do the work again of building the foundation of the heart of the disciplines. But we don't want to enter into legalism where we are trying to earn our way to God's favor. That is not the point of the disciplines. It is to live because of what he has done in us, not so that he will work in us. So there's just a great, a great picture here in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom, for the sake of us being free as he intended us, that he freed us in Christ. And therefore, we are compelled and called to live no longer as those who are bound because we are not. The work is accomplished in Christ. In Christ, we are free from the penalty and the power of sin today. But while we still live in the presence of sin in this life, we grow in the experience of living in the freedom of Christ largely through pursuing the spiritual disciplines. So while we contend with the flesh, even though we are free eternally, spiritually, 
We, we pursue living free by pursuing living a life under, under God and the disciplines. So let's start by talking quickly, by quickly talking about um, what biblical fasting is not. Okay? Let's start by just erasing some kind of misunderstandings. Um, so biblical fasting is not, it's not a diet and it's not a weight loss mechanism. That's not what it's about. It's okay but that's not what this biblical fasting about is about. It's also not a way for you to show your devotion to God in hopes of gaining his favor. Remember, he has already shown you his favor in Christ, and when you confess and believe and surrender and follow Christ, all of his favor is bestowed upon you. His righteousness of Christ is given to you. You are now a co-heir with Christ. So again, it's not about earning favor. Fasting is not meant to punish the body. Jesus took our punishment. Fasting is not meant to punish the body. Fasting is not a statement that food or other things are necessarily bad. And then for, for the next few, I want us to look at Matthew 6, 16 through 18, to see a few more things that fasting is not. So Matthew 6, 16 through 18 says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's saying, like, hey, don't walk around all mopey and downcast in hopes that someone will say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. Yeah, you know, just I really need to hear from the Lord. I'm just fasting. Yeah. That, he's saying don't do that. Why? Fasting is not a chance for you to flaunt your religiosity or self-righteousness. That's, that would be you getting your reward now, but because your reward is in heaven and it's an internal spiritual work, you don't, you don't need to hope, you, you don't need to do the work to elevate yourself before others. That's the exact opposite posture of the gospel. That's the exact opposite posture of Jesus in the way that in which he came into our world. He humbled himself. He let, he let uh, his, his accolades come through God's glory in the cross. He didn't need that, and we're not meant to pursue that. There's a difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. Does that make sense? It's, you know, because we kind of end up in this awkward place. If you've ever fasted and you get invited to something, you kind of get put in this awkward place. Like, oh, oh, why aren't you eating? Oh, I just don't want to. Like, we feel like we're not even allowed to mention it. Like, we feel like we have to, like, it's like this covert thing, you know, top secret. We're going to be disavowed if we actually use the word fast when we're fasting. And so we're like, oh, you know, I just, ah, I've already ate or I'm not hungry. Or, like, you know, then you don't want to say you already ate because then does that, like, dis, you know, disqualify your fast? Because, like, if you didn't eat but you just said you did. Like, you just kind of end up in this weird place. But there's a difference between, saying like, between fasting to be seen and being seen fasting. And so I think it's okay, like, for us to as we fast, to do so as an offering. Because again, as we've talked about the last three weeks, motive matters so much. The difference between a healthy discipline and a destructive discipline is your motive. If you're doing it somehow to put God in a beholding relationship to you, if you're doing it somehow to elevate your status amongst the people around you, if you're doing it somehow to, to make the world somehow think that 
this is what it's all about, then you've missed the boat. You're now doing it for the wrong reason. If it's an offering, if it's, an, if it's got the right motive that you are doing it because you want to grow in your intimacy with God, you want to be free from sin in your life and temptation, you want to grow in your Christ-likeness, and somehow this is the thing that the Lord has revealed to you that you need to do, then in your discernment and humility, if you're fasting and someone says, hey, why aren't you eating? You know, I, I've got some things that I'm trying to bring to the Lord, and this is an opportunity for me to, to eliminate some distractions or some things that pull my affections. There's nothing wrong with that. And you're actually inviting them into the truth. So let's understand the heart of what we're being compelled to there. Lastly, what we see here from Matthew 6, fasting is not a command. You're like, what? It's not, nowhere in Scripture does it say, you will fast. Fast this many times, fast this thing. It doesn't. So fasting is not a command. Instead, Fasting is so assumed all throughout Scripture that it has the force of a command. I mean, even in this passage, twice we see it. And it's throughout Scripture. At the beginning, he says, when you fast, it's the assumption. When you fast, it's like saying, when you breathe. When you fast, it's it's just part of your life unto God. It's part of your identity. He even closes it at the end. That you're fasting. It is active. It's present. So it's not a command, but it is assumed to the extent that it has the force of a command. It has the force of something that is expected to be part of your life. So in quick view, that is what it is not. So what is fasting? For our purposes, our definition of fasting is this. Fasting is an inward discipline of abstinence where we practice voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of casting our mind's attention and heart's affection on God. Fasting is an inward discipline of abstinence where we practice voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of casting our mind's attention and heart's affection on God. And that definition is an amalgamation of of my thoughts, Richard Foster's thoughts, David Whitney's thoughts, Dallas Willard's thoughts, and hopefully God's thoughts. You know, I think, that that's, I think that's where we get that from. Um, but that's, that's how we will define it today. So fasting, just like other disciplines, it is deeply spiritual before it is any, anything else. Fasting is physical, it's a physical work, but yet it is about the spiritual outcome, the spiritual transformation. Fasting in Scripture is almost always focused on food. But with that being said, there are, are of course, other meaningful opportunities in fasting. When you think about fasting, anything given up temporarily in order to focus all of our attention and affection on God can be considered a fast. We see an example of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.5. Paul had just been Um, talking about the joy of a husband and a wife giving themselves fully to each other. And then he comes to this this verse in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. He says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we already see how an abstaining from something other than food can be beneficial for our understanding and intimacy with God, as well as prayerfully in this situation, it would be your, your intimacy in marriage as well. So anyone, anyone can fast. And I will say, as far as for the, the biblical purposes of fasting, uh, it is only spiritually beneficial at the, in the transformative level uh, if you are a Christ follower. Now, of course, 
if someone who is not a Christ follower is fasting, of course the Lord could use it to show them other things. He can work through anything. But the, again, the view we see in Scripture is that fasting is something given to the body of Christ. Um, so anyone can fast, but some may not be able to fast from food, right? So again, just kind of building on this point. So case in point, maybe a diabetic or someone who's, got, who's had um, some food disorders, some eating disorders, um, past or present. Uh, obviously, it could be harmful to fast food. Um, and so there we have other opportunities. So um, everyone can temporarily give up something in order to draw closer to God. I mean, I, one of my most recent opportunities of fasting was just my, like, the, any content on my phone outside of phone calls and communications. Because what it was, it wasn't that I felt like my phone was, like, all that, like, of a horrible presence in my life, but it was that I noticed how much I had this, like, autonomic motor response. Like, in any moment of pause, I would just reach and grab my phone. And I, and I, and I did notice that also in times of, of downtime, I would want to occupy my mind, and because the phone was so present, I could go and scroll news articles or scroll through Instagram or whatever. And so I just, I just went through a period of, ha- and not, of not using it that way. And really it was because I knew that that would be a consistent trigger to, again, set my mind on the things of God. I would use that opportunity to then reflect or maybe go do a memory verse or something like that. So, again, there's other opportunities. So you may think of, a te- you know, of, of, of media or just technology in general, disconnecting, making more space for time with you and the Lord. Um, again, when I say media, I mean the, the, way that we, the way in which we engage media that it occupies our mind and our thought where we don't have the time and the space to let our mind wander with God. We need to free up some imagination. The Lord, like we are, we are temporal people engaging in eternal God. If there's any place for imagination, shaped and guided by the Holy Spirit, like that is an amazing thing. So, but that happens in the gray space. It happens in the wondering. It happens when you're drifting. Some of my most like crystal clear, clarifying thoughts come when I'm dozing off and I'm like spending the time thinking, and I just like wake up and the Lord uses that space. I don't know what it is. That's just me. I'm not prescribing. Go try to take a nap, but then like wake up just before you fall asleep and think about things. I'm just saying like the importance of giving your space mind to think without it just being crammed and occupied. Um, Just noise in general. This is another one that I have an opportunity with. Just noise. I constantly have to have the space occupied. Amber's very helpful with saying, hey, let's just have some silence for a little bit. I'm like, silence is bad. So I mean, whether it, like, again, like good things, music, podcasts, talk radio, I mean, any of that stuff, those are opportunities. Again, thinking of the posture in which we engage these things matters. And, we're, and as we work through the promise of, the, of fasting in just a little bit, you'll, hopefully this will kind of help shape our understanding even more. Um, so if we, if we understand what fasting is, how, just some practicalities, how do we fast? How do we? So first, just understanding the occasion for which you are fasting is important. So we fast, we see we fast to gain clarity in God's guidance. We see examples in Scripture of fasting being part of making big decisions, of discerning the will of the Lord. Acts 13.2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 14.23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom 
they had believed. So we see that fasting can, can, can help us grow in clarity and understanding and, and, and discernment and understand the will of God. We fast to decrease our affections for the things of the world, even, even when most of those things are gifts from God. Everything that was created was created by God, and it was created good, and it is only in the, the, the twisting and perversion of the good things that they become destructive. But So we see that, that we are working to decrease our affections for the things of the world, even if they are good, and we fast to increase our affections for God, the gift giver. So an example of my life of how I have engaged um, fasting is, I, again, I, I like to identify a focal point. What is my need? What's my opportunity? And I, and I try not to do more than three. And again, two is better than three. One's better than two. Like the more pinpointed, the better, but you know, don't be afraid of a couple. But I, I would limit it to three. Um, but I, I like to pick no more than three. And that way, it's kind of like when you go into the gym, or at least for me. When I used to go into the gym, um, I, uh, I did much better when I walked in with a program, when I knew what I was going to be doing before I got there, versus when I was like, I'm going to the gym to work out, and I walk in, and I stand there, and now I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I mill around, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some biceps, preacher curl, okay, now what do I do? And like, time passes by, and before I know it, I've done like two exercises in, in, in an hour, and it's time for me to go, versus when I go in with a program. And so what we understand is, so, so like, having these focal points goes because fasting, while you have some built-in moments for your focus, it also, because it's reactive, because it's physical, it also focuses your attention in that moment because what happens is I, as I identify these, these things that I need, whether it's a, a sin that I need freedom from or whether it's a decision I need to make or whether it's just a, a pivotal season of life, I fasted for a, a week before we had Gavin. Um, I, just, I just was like, man, we're about to have our first kid and like I my mind was blown, and I didn't know how to. I didn't even know what to think about. And I was like, "All I know is that I need you, Lord. So I'm just going to fast. And every time it's going to be, Lord, just whatever you have to tell me about having a son, I need to know. And that's kind of, you know. So again, it's just having that that focus can also focus your pursuit during fasting because this again, it's about pursuing your affections with God. So you identify your focus. You set a duration and, and a possible frequency. So you set a duration, a fast should always be temporary, um, especially with this food. Going too far along with food is bad. Eventually, it goes bad. Um, and so, and then I will also say fasting is most effective when it is a normal, a, a, a habitual and, or, or rhythmic presence in your life. Um, it, should be, it should be, have some kind of consistent presence in your life. Um, and then if you've never fasted before, start off slow. If you have fasted before, take your next, your next step. Again, don't jump to Jesus to 40 days. Like, you know, I mean, like, if, you, if you've never fasted, you should, probably shouldn't start with 40 days. If you've only fasted one meal, you shouldn't jump. Again, so, like, pace yourself. Um, it should be, and as you think about how you engage this, whether it's with food or anything, um, let's talk about food for a minute. Um, just when you're fasting food, um, Start, maybe like, again, if you've never fasted, let's think about how we can enter into this. Uh, start with, maybe just start with one type of food. If it's like meat, because you love meat and you've got to have meat, you're a meat person. 
That's in, uh, maybe just start with meat. If that's like, in, like from, from, from my dad, it would be bread. Like a mill's not a mill without bread. And so, again, maybe that's the place to start. Or just one mill, um, one mill, one day a week. Um, again, like, I don't need to lay out every iteration it could be. And then maybe thinking of a little bit more extensive fast, maybe just sun up to sun down. So you can maybe eat an early breakfast and a late dinner. And then maybe a full 24 hours. Like pick a full 24 hours and fast. And then... You can go from there. I will say if you go past 24 hours, come alongside someone. Get someone to come alongside you that has fasted longer than that before. Read some, um, some of those who teach on this well. Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Disciplines, has a really great like, outline of what your body goes through with fasting. So it's, it's an awareness of what you're going to go through as well as, very importantly, how to come off of a food fast. You've got to come off of it well or else you will have a bad go at it. I have a good story, but I'm not going to tell it. Ask me later. Um, um, but so it does take some work. So you need to have some awareness. So make sure if you're going to go longer than a day that you do some, some study and some learning on how to go longer than a day. Um, but then as you're fasting, like I said a minute ago, when the cravings come and when the t- or when the time comes that you would typically partake, let that be a time that you pray, that you bring those needs before the Lord, that you spend time in study and devotion, um, and, and listen. Make sure you spend time listening and journal. So with that being said, fasting is most effective, and it really can't exist without employing other disciplines in this pursuit. So again, predominantly I would say this is going to be prayer. Prayer is a big part of fasting. Prayer, meditation, solitude probably works in there. Study works in there. Worship. Like you should not necessarily be in isolation the whole time you are fasting. You need to be in some community. You need some context. You need some people to share and, and process it with. Celebrate, confess. All of these things are part of rich fasting. So what is the promise of fasting as we come down the home stretch? Earlier we saw in Matthew 16 that, that we should not be downcast and gloomy when we're fasting. So, so why? Why not? We've already mentioned one, that, that we should not be looking for approval and worth from those around us or establishing our own righteousness. That would be self-righteousness, and our righteousness belongs to Christ. But secondly, the whole point of fasting is to be reminded of how God satisfies our every need and longing. So if that is why we enter into fasting, fasting should be a faith-feeding and joy-filling endeavor. So if you're walking around just downcast, mopey, oh, woe is me, look what I'm doing, then you've totally missed the promise and the invitation of fasting. Matthew 4.4 speaks to this promise, and it should bring joy to your fasting. It says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. By the way, this is when Jesus was being tempted in the desert. He had just got through fasting for 40 days. And he is equipped to say this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the glorious truth of fasting. Fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting. We said earlier that fasting is not a statement that things are, are bad, those things we withhold from, but fasting declares that God is better. He satisfies more than anything. We're saying, we're proclaiming, we're confessing, we're declaring 
God is enough for me. He is enough for all of creation. Fasting is feasting. God is enough. So we have to remember this. Fasting is always motivated by deep desire. That is the motivation of God's gift of fasting. Fasting is not suppression of desire, but intense pursuit of it. We fast because we want something more than food or whatever whatever activity it is that we are abstaining from. Fasting is not about not eating food or partaking of that thing. It is about feasting on every divine blessing secured for us in Christ. Fasting expands the capacity of our souls to hear God's voice and be assured of his love and be filled with the fullness of joy. Does it sound more attractive than maybe it was before you walked in? Fasting is all about ingesting the word of God, his truth, the beauty of God, beholding him, the presence of God, being in awe of him, the blessings of God, just letting his goodness wash over you remembering what has been given to you in Christ. Fasting is spiritual gluttony. (laughs) Like just to flip it on his head a little bit. Um, I love that. Sam Storm said that. Fasting is spiritual gluttony. And and this reminds me of John Piper's kind of benchmark, the cornerstone of his, his ministry. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy says this, Fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in Him a source of sustenance beyond food. Through it, we learn by experience that God's Word to us is a life substance, that it is not food, bread alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God. We learn that we too have meat to eat that the world does not know about. Fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on Him and on doing His will. In fasting, we learn to suffer happily as we feast on God. You want to endure the trials of this world well? You want to endure with peace and confidence and joy? Fasting reminds us and leads us and equips us to suffer happily as we feast on God. Fasting is not something that you do for God. Instead, it is your appeal that God in his grace and power and acknowledgement that he has done everything for you and that he will continue to do everything for you. So as we said last week, our, our changing, our growing is not a work of our willpower. And, and we don't experience transformation and freedom just by gritting it out. And when we fast, we're not just going to exert our willpower, but we're actually going to declare our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is a glorious thing to come to the end of ourselves and see where our hands are no longer effective and strong enough. 
Because in that moment is when we see God's strength all the more. When we can't explain the peace and the joy in our lives outside of him. Jesus transforms, not us. Jesus is our author and perfecter of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. So we see that fasting transforms our affections, our desires, our longings, our appetites. And because of this, we can also see that fasting is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Like I already alluded to, Jesus, he fasted for 40 days. And then at his weakest, Satan came and tempted him. And Jesus was equipped to overcome because of that fasting. Fasting leads us to being totally dependent on God, which is absolutely indispensable in our fight of spiritual warfare. Feasting is part of our training in righteousness. You want freedom, here's some opportunity for you. You know, if you, if I, let me see if I can recall this rightly. A couple weeks ago, we talked about fasting. And we said fasting allows us to be a part of a work personally that we would have no other, no other opportunity to affect change in. It allows us to be a part of the work that only God can do. There's your opportunity. So to, to wrap up, we see that fasting leads us to freedom. It guides us to freedom from sin because it equips us by, by consuming our affections and appetites in who God is and what he's accomplished in Christ and diminishing them for the things of the world, the lesser things. Fasting deepens our intimacy with God. Remember, fasting is actually feasting. It is saying God is enough. And fasting guides us to growing in Christ-likeness. It increases our joy in Christ by revealing the lesser things we often turn to instead of filling up on Christ. And as we fill up on Christ, we become more like him. So your opportunity this week, if you want to step into applying today, start off by what is the need in your life? What is the opportunity you have to bring to God? Is there, is there a sin or temptation that you are bound in, that you are not living as though you are free, that you have entered back into slavery? Is there a decision you need to make? Is there a fear you're trying to overcome? Or is there a lack of sense of intimacy and desire for God? Any of those. Identify that opportunity. And then step into where you are with fasting. If you can fast food, if it's not, if it's not dangerous for you to fast food, I would encourage you to fast food. Um, and again, start small. Pace yourself, abide in grace, and, and see what God does. Remember why we fast. We don't earn anything through it. He has given us his love, his favor, his grace in Christ. And so our desire is to walk in that fellowship and to grow in our 
in our understanding of who he is and who he's made us to be. So we remember God has made us enough through Christ and he is enough for us. Let's pray. God, I am grateful that I get to proclaim that confession, that declaration that you are enough. Christ is enough for me. So, Lord, where my affections wane to the temporal things instead of the eternal, Lord, I pray that you would just change my appetite. Lord, when I, when I wallow in guilt, remind me of your goodness. So, Lord, I pray that you would use fasting in our lives for your glory, that we would enter into it pursuing great desire, a desire for you, Lord, and as a result, I pray that the people of God, the body of Christ, that we would be, Lord, vibrant pictures of the joy and love that is in Christ. And Lord, that we would find ourselves living free. We would find ourselves living purposeful. Lord, being brought into your heart, not just enjoying the, the, the blessing of that, but also extending it to the world around us. So we pray this. This work would be for your glory and for the completion and the work of your love and truth of the gospel in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.